we're back, Brian, and we're still live after that banquet, man. I that know. kicked my butt. That, that was a rough one. That was just what a month of like three hours of sleep a night. <laughs> yeah, well, it was all for a good thing, though, right? Dude, we killed it. I mean, a lot of people in the room, a lot of people doing good things, made some money for a great organization, so we continue the wildlife conservation thing. And that's always a good thing. A lot of people want a lot of guns, sixty yeah. some guns, and. A lot of kids walking with ARs. Sold a bottle of liquor, thirty dollar bottle of liquor for twenty seven hundred bucks. What could go wrong with that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, table rivalry. It was two guys at one table bidding against each other. It was absolutely nuts. So if you missed it, um, <clears throat> it's going to be better next year because next year we've booked the Orleans. Ryan's taking his clothes off next year. Yeah. Then it, then we'll sell no tickets and <laughs> live stripping auction. Depending on how much you bid, you know what? That's the, no. Depending on how much you bid, is the faster I put my clothes on. So <laughs> I think I can make probably sixty, seventy grand right there in the room. <laughs> no oh, man, but yeah, I pay for that. Next yeah. year it's going to be the Orleans, and it's what March eleventh. We're going to do it next year. Yeah, we're already planning. It reminds me of like that, you know that that scene on Elf where. Christmas comes, he's like, we have 364 more days till Christmas. Like, yeah. We just finished one, Ron, and the next one. It's absolutely nuts. You know, and if you saw Ron and I a couple days before the banquet, I think we were ready to kill anything that moved. And, you know, we are so done with the banquet. And now it's like, when's the next banquet? we got to start planning. So we're already, we're looking at, you know, we can sit 900 this time. So we, we went from our 420 or 430, whatever we had in the room this time, with max the room out. So now being able to do 900. So. Yeah, It'll we're good, we're gonna fill time. it up, but we we made a lot. We're looking to spend a lot, and uh, another group that has a big event coming up, and you know they're gonna need some help because they're doing good stuff too. They, they've <clears throat> they're a brand new group to this valley. Like, how long have you guys been around? Like a month, two months, six? August of twenty one. Yeah, I can't I can't count backwards in months. It's been a little bit, not a lot, and they've already started doing projects. And so, groups like that, we want to definitely collaborate with them and make sure that they. <clears throat> they get their name out so other people could help them. So, um, well, who is that group, Ron? So you, you talked about the group, but you never said who they were. Well, I was going to let them introduce themselves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't remember anybody's name. Well, you can say the group name for goodness' sake. <laughs> well, switch over and they introduce themselves, man. I, I, I know you can't you can't count without taking your shoes off. But man, this is getting a little ridiculous. So, why don't you guys tell us who you are and and what you do? Hey, everybody. So we're the uh, Southern Nevada chapter of Quail Forever. My name is Matt. Um, I'm the chapter president. Uh, my name's Lauren. I'm the banquet coordinator. And I'm Tyler. I'm just there. I'm, <laughs> I'm not anything. A.K.A. T-Pain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're, 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 they're Quail Unlimited. And you guys were telling us a little bit before the show that you guys did a little project already in, in the short time that you guys have been founded. Yeah, so we went up to uh, Beatty, which is home of the best barbecue joint in Nevada. What's that? Smoking Jays. <laughs> I don't know. Fox Those Barbecue are, in Boulder City is pretty I, dang good. I, That's a hard one to beat. <laughs> I understand. I think they've done it, though. But uh, anyway, so we went up and we did a well pole planting project um, in some spring habitat um, down right off the highway. Um, basically what that is is... Uh, willows regenerate like succulents or what have you so you just uh, lop off a good two foot long section of willow you stick them in the ground and uh two years they grow back to be a nice full uh full plant and uh it helps you know create more of like a wet meadow effect and uh the projects have a very high success rate too you see ron over here season because the only thing he knows about willow is when he had to go cut one off and <laughs> use it to correct his that's why he had to plant more errors. i had to cut them all off when i was young so why why did you plant those what how does that help quell 
So um, in this area, we have a lot of, uh, or I should say in Beatty, um, there's a good amount of chucker. There's some quail. Um, there's also small game like rabbits and other non-game species too. So basically what this is going to do is it's going to bring back some of that habitat that has been decimated by feral burrows um, and horses, uh, mostly burrows. And what it's going to do is it's going to provide good cover and forage for these uh, game and non-game species. So everything benefits from, from something like this. So you mean we're not the only ones in the duck world and the big game world aren't the only ones that have an issue with all the feral animals that are uncontrolled? Well, what's the population? Like, they came out with a number, right? Of well, how many I will tell you. Per square foot, how many were over horses? I, I don't remember what that number is, but I will tell you that the problem is so bad with the feral horses in the state of Nevada that they just did a recent roundup on uh, the Mount Charleston range. And out of those animals that they rounded up, 98% of them had to be euthanized because they were in such poor, poor conditions. So... The people that are advocates, and I get it, I love horses just as much as the other guy, but um, the people that are advocating for not touching them, I don't know that they realize that just the the condition that these horses are, are in, the, their body conditions are so poor that they just can't even survive. And then the rescues that have come and stepped in and said, oh, we're going to save all the horses, we're going to buy all this property. Well, the one that's kind of the main one has had already like a thousand horses die on their property, and none of that gets reported. So... We have to manage it. We have to do something to manage it. I know there's a big push to um, sign on with some groups and to push the federal government to actually um, run that agenda. Nevada is the most densely populated state with wild horses in the United States. So when you do that, it, they're they're decimating these, these habitats so bad that even if we go and do reseed programs, that they wouldn't be successful because you just can't grow it back as fast as they destroy it. So... Um, we got to do something, and it's it's not just you know the big game animals that are suffering. It's it's our birds and everything else. Because for us, it's not only the feral horses, but we had a feral cattle problem in one of our areas that decimated our water hole that we had. So we developed it. They would tear the fences down, and the water be gone. We well, they fought. they trampled that water hole, and the <clears throat> the deer and and it was a quail area too. The deer, quail, and anybody they, they don't like drinking muddy water, and so they just made it rough for those those other animals to get in there so we finally fixed it by just getting something that the cows couldn't get into and we had a contractor come in and and drop some really heavy duty fence in and since then man that spring is has come back and you walk in and there's no cow tracks around there anymore but it's all deer track and small game tracks in there so well endow still went and took a took a pipe and ran to the outside for the overflow so those cows could still drink it, it didn't kill off all the cows and so they they still worry about that population but like you said, it's like having pets, you know, like all our big game animals are not really wild anymore. They're all managed. You know, there's all certain areas for them to be at. And um, it's like having a dog and it's being like, well, I love dogs. So I'm going to have my yard full of dogs, but I'm not going to feed them. You know, you have to manage these big game species. I did that with my kids. It didn't work out real well. They yeah, still grew. Ended up my house. <laughs> um, anyways, if tough. you don't manage these big game species, like they, they, they just go hog wild and, and they like the 90% to be euthanized. You're not doing them any favors. You're, you're starving them. You're starving them slowly, and it makes it really rough. I mean, the deer will get up higher and go find food. To a know? certain point, but the horses will go up where if, they're, if there's food scarcity, um, they're like any other species. They're going to go find where the food is. So if they've got everything down in the lower valleys, they're going exactly where the where the feed is. And so they're pretty adapted. Um, horses will go anywhere deer will go just about. So it's not you're not going to stop them. You're not going to stop them from moving in. I mean, and the problem is you have everything's competing for for a food source and so you start bringing these 
horses in and you know it's the same thing with with wild pigs right so wild pigs become an invasive species and you know they devastate everything that they come into contact with and the horses are kind of the same way i mean they're a majestic animal i get it and and you know we have the same issue you look at predator issues and the, the wolf a wolf is a beautiful animal but a wolf is a very destructive animal and it will eat and kill things a wolf is a different species it will most animals will kill for food a wolf will actually kill for fun. It'll kill something and just leave it there. Those big old Canadian wolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like a bad hunter. So, and one of our jobs <laughs> as as conservationists is to push for legislation and push our our wildlife commissioners and and our state um, legislators and our state boards to actually manage these lands with science and scientific method. And so, part of that scientific method is we have a problem. We need to solve the problem. The issue you come into with the full wild horses is now the state can't come in and do a lot with it. There are certain areas where these horses are on state land, and then the state can come in and manage them, but most of them are on federal land, and they're federally protected by the federal government. So all they can really do is round them up and put them in pens, which means they're just going to sit there in pens until they die, which doesn't make any sense either right so <laughs> they spent tons of money on it but <clears throat> back to you guys feral horses mess up all your habitat with the birds you love am i correct like i think probably quell habitats hit one the hardest absolutely i don't know if any of you have actually seen some of the springs that have the tubing where they will rip it out of the ground and chew it up just so the water spits out before it's getting to where a lot of the animals and like the habitat is um i know there's there's a pretty um common chucker hunting spot where the the cattle owners are you know funneling the water down through the tubing but the horses chew it up every few days so if you drive up this road you always see them fixing it um and it's just it's taking away from the spring it's it's taking away from everything and i cattle are a problem on the landscape but I, they're also something that we have to work together with they're they're mm-hmm. they're just as important um and i feel like the cattle owners and the farmers like they're they're more on our side than the anti side so we have to kind of come in collaboration with them too yeah you got to figure out who your friends well, are well and the, and the <clears throat> issue isn't for us the issue really isn't the cattle most of the time but what's happened is there's areas in the state that there's feral cattle and so mm-hmm. the feral cattle aren't managed especially here so what happens and and coming from a cattle ranching family is what happens is every year when you start dropping calves, then you start going back to your base herd at some point. So you figure out how many calves you're going to keep, and then you kind of start sending things to auction or however you're you're going to do it. And you manage that herd size to where it's going to be able to maintain on the land that you have. Versus the feral cattle, I know they had a number in mind, um, and they said that there were so many, I don't remember what the number was, but there were maybe 600 cows in the McCulloughs. And they pulled off 600, and they said there's 400 more cows in the McCulloughs. And they pulled off 400, and they're like, well, there's there's still cows in the McCulloughs. So they don't have any clue how many are there. And, and as fast as you can pick these animals up, they're they're breeding and dropping more, right? So mm-hmm. now you've reduced the stress on the land, and they're like, oh, we have more. We can, we can have more babies, and we can survive a little bit longer. So, um, But the rancher is actually actively managing those. So... One of the best things you can have in conservation is is farmers and ranchers are actually working with you because they need healthy land to be able to graze. 
And healthy land includes habitat for most of the animals we love and we love to hunt and everything else. And so they're wanting to actively promote that. I know love him or hate him, but Clive and Bundy was a big one. He, uh, he actually restored a bunch of historical springs and stuff because it was good for his cattle. But he's got marshes up there now that weren't there before that the government had let just get completely destroyed. But he has re- restored a lot of that land back to what it was originally because it's a healthy thing for his cattle to do. So Well, yeah, it makes sense, you know, <clears throat> that they're going to want a habitat for their cattle as good as we want it for our big game animals. And that's why you're saying we ought to probably work with these ranchers because obviously they have some interest in it. Well, how did how did you all get together for Quells Unlimited? How, how do you start up a NGO? Um, we have one guy on our board who's not here today who um, he actually works for a butcher in town, and he just loves to hunt. He hunts What hard. butcher? Give him a Feather shout Blade. out. Featherblade Butcher. They have and, incredible cuts of meat. And who is that? that? They're a new, are they the new butcher in town? Yeah. So that's a kid. That's one of the kids that we Well, were I know. It's at. Ryan from Ducks yeah, Unlimited. Yeah, from Ducks yeah. Unlimited. We, that's, we Ryan met Ryan at, at a bar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That kid kills a lot of ducks. He's something yeah. talk about it. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he's. <laughs> He's out there every day of the season. He can be. Yeah. So he gets after it. So he. So how did he, it go? He reached out to our like the nationwide organization, and and then the more local regional guy sent out emails to everyone who was already a Quail Forever member, mm-hmm. um, and said, "Hey, we're doing a meetup. If anyone wants to try and get a chapter involved here." So they did get enough interest that we were able to create our own chapter. Okay. Now, what made you drawn towards Quell? Is that something you guys do? Like on the have you got did you hunt it last year? How was it? <laughs> it was uh, horrible last year. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it sounds like it's, a deer hunter. It's, it's, been a rough, <laughs> it's been a rough season. Um I've hunted quail, I think maybe six or seven years now. Um but all of us hunt everything else as well as well. Um we all hunt big game. Um I think all of us except for one is big into waterfowl. Um we hunt rabbits, we hunt chucker, we hunt sage grouse, um and that's kind of what drew us to quail forever Mm -hmm. is we can do whatever we want as a chapter like we do a lot of quail projects but a lot of it we can we can do mule deer projects we can do sage grouse projects um like we're not tied to just quail and chucker and and small game species so anything that's good for the uplands we're called the habitat yeah what is it the habitat organization habitat organization is is basically like our identity so anything that's good for the habitat we as a chapter if we want to put our money and effort and time into we can yeah so you guys um like you said you're absolutely correct if you're helping the quail or you're helping any upland species it's going to help basically every other species because where there's quail there's usually deer Except for behind the Mesa and Logandale. There's no deer back there. But there's quail. Yeah. Maybe we should plant deer back there. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. But there, there's rumors that people seen them back there. You know what? They're, I, they're, I would imagine they come down in there every once in a while. Cause, From Arizona? Yeah, Arizona Strip section and mm-hmm. over by Bunkerville. I mean, those are some monster desert muleys in there. It's some of the yeah. best hunting country mm-hmm. around. So, And even if you look at historically the searchlight area, if you want to look at record deer out of the state of Nevada, really? the searchlight area is is pretty good but you draw it it's going to be tough to find them i mean then those desert muleys that's the thing is they i found one the, <laughs> did you they hide did you get one then i did yeah oh sh- shoot us a picture so we can put it up on the screen for everybody to see <laughs> yeah they, send it to me in my messenger real quick. they hide it pretty well but i don't know if i have my iphone like completely 
Oh. Kerplat saw me. Good, good. Okay. <laughs> nice, dear. Yeah, yeah, sure. I got it. I know. I got one of those desert mules. I found it, but uh, oh, my pictures don't work. Imaginary. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Ron story. That sounds like a Ron story to me. Um, so when back in the 90s, early 90s, when all the construction was going on, they actually went, um, when the construction was going on, and put out quail traps and caught quail and relocated them to different parts of Nevada, way back when in the 90s. Um, we haven't done much since, but the importance of um, rehoming wild quail is because if you breed and release, what happens, Brian? If you breed and release, you get like, I, it, it, I was talking to a, um, a preserver or a refuge manager, and he was like, depending on the species, but most species you get a very high mortality rate on them. So you farm raise them, you bring them, and even at a, at a as a chick, you bring them out in the field, out in the field, and drop them. They don't know anything other than being in an enclosed environment. So he said, even with, um, I want to say it was with sage grouse, they did a relocation with some sage grouse, and just relocating them from one area to another, their mortality rate was like sixty percent because they didn't know where they were, and so yeah. they would let the hawks and stuff come down and just devastate them. So you're looking at some of these species are in like a ninety eight percent mortality rate if you farm raise them, absolutely, versus wild relocation. Um, wild relocation, you have a better survival rate. It's still not going to be cl- anywhere close to 100%, but you're going to have a lot better chance. They at least have some survival instinct for being in the wild, and that's their environment. Um, even They were saying even just they'll drop some, some birds and just to harvest them, and they say those ones don't last a week most of the time. And and it's sad because you got a lot of people that decide that they want to do these big projects. I want to go release 1,000 quail. Well, out of that 1,000 quail. I'm going to breed them and release them. You're going to have 50 maybe that survive, and out of those 50, none of them are probably going to reproduce because you're going to be spread out so far on that landscape. So you just released coyote food, right, mm-hmm. or Basically. mountain lion food or bobcat food. And so now what's happened is you've promoted the increased production of predators, so you've actually caused a bigger problem than you had to start with. And so you did something with good intentions, and, and then now you're going to have exactly the opposite effect of what you wanted to. So I'll tell you right now, coyotes are hungry, just like every other animal. And so you release a bunch of quail or a bunch of pheasant on the landscape that doesn't know how to defend themselves, they're, they're gorging on those things. And I, I've heard of another type of release where you release a smaller amount of birds, but with um, a covey. Like, mm-hmm. And they can kind of teach them the ways, but even that there there's some survival. But you, they don't know is it because um, all those new birds just got eaten and the wild birds took off, and like their their numbers still look okay, and maybe a couple of them stayed with them, or those birds were so dumb they got a few of them the good smart birds killed, but it wasn't anything like to really increase the numbers. And sage grouse are even worse. Sage grouse, there's so many, like, I, I can talk about sage grouse for an hour, just all the weird little cool, things they can't, they, they just have such a special small habitat, like, you could never relocate them. Like, their leks are at the same place for year, like, I don't even know, like, hundreds of years that they've done these leks in the same place. And they can't have high towers and things for, like, predators and hawks and, like, even just big trees. Like, th- there's some areas where they can live by bigger trees, like where the they, the landscape's kind of meshed together. The PJ encroached. Yeah, but that, like, 
they're just so at risk by any type of like, predator type birds that they they can't even just tall like like telephone poles being run through that could kill sage grouse. Really, have you have you noticed that sage grouse are kind of stupid? Um, the where I like when you hunt them, they seem like they're the easiest upland game bird to hunt. They're smarter than me. If, <laughs> if you can find them. Like oh. lately, and I, I know some people that have hunted sage grouse in areas for like the last 15 years. I, I'm newer to it. I mm-hmm. think I, I've only been out for two seasons. Um, but just from one year, in an area where we saw multiple cubbies, we couldn't find a single cubby. And it wasn't just us, it was like a lot of people we know that are very mm-hmm. well educated on that specific area. So okay. their their numbers are declining so fast that I honestly don't know how much longer we are going to be allowed to hunt them. Well, they already took away areas last yeah, year. Yeah, so they, they put a restrictions on it. We're expecting more to possibly be taken and, away. And I hope they are. It's sad because you know? we're not managing species as a state like we should be. And so our mule deer is in a 30-year decline. Our sage grouse are, are getting to the point where they're almost non-existent. All the horses fall. We had areas that were... Um, at one point, they had released quail as another hunting species into the Overton area. But it wasn't properly managed, and so the predator population got out of control, and they not only devastated the quail population, to where now I've seen a couple quail out there when we're duck hunting, one, one or two across the road, but the, the turkey population got devastated for a long time, and so they're importing these turkeys, and they just have no turkeys at the end of the year. Finally, when they started bringing in trappers, and the government trappers, those government trappers were able to get that predator population down, and we started having some bird reproduction rates, um, especially in the turkey population. The um, the pheasant population never really came back, and, and that's sad. But the funny thing about pheasant is they're just such a, a skittish bird anyways, right? So it doesn't take anything for those birds to, to be off and gone. So as soon as there's any pressure on them, they're going to find somewhere else to be. So And, and that's a big part as a... As a as conservationists and hunters and so i use the term kind of interchangeably because you can't be a hunter without being a conservationist especially here because if you're not a conservationist you're going to be out of hunting out of the hunting game really really quick Mm -hmm. and so we owe it to to the animals and everybody else to be able to um, do the projects we do and to sometimes it it's worth it to take a step back and take two years off or three years off of hunting a species just so we can get the numbers back up. I don't know what quail is doing right now, but I can tell you right now in the state of Nevada, the duck reproduction rate is zero. I mean, we are getting no birds or mallard population. So mallards in, in a state like Nevada, you're going to get local mallards is generally what you're going to get. You may get a late season mallard push from up north, but generally you don't see that. We're at the point now where we're almost out of mallards in the state of Nevada. And so, um, you're hunting them. It's getting hot. We have, I'm sure that they're going to have the same thing in the quail population, but I know the duck population right now has avian flu. Um, this year they got hit really hard and it's those animals are under stress. And when they're under stress, they get diseased. And so we're going to see a large die off of birds that we, we kind of were expecting just because of the drought and conditions. And for us, duck habitat, as you know, is just, it was, it was almost non-existent in most of the flyway this year. So, when you have those things, we've got to do everything we can as, as hunters in the, using that conservation role to make sure we manage that species so we have maybe not next year if you take a, you have to take a season off, but long term and our kids and our kids' kids can enjoy the same things we love to do. So Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we got a few followers here on Facebook. we got Scott Fowler from the Retriever Club. 
Uh, Scott, Ron, Ron brought you some sparkling water. He says he's got a, <laughs> got got a, got a can for like you. Like. Hey, what kind of dog do you run when you're upland hunting? Um, I have a white hair pointing Griffon, but I hunted upland for many years without a dog, and I think it made me better in the long run. Yeah? Do you? What <laughs> oh. we'll to make you meet up with Alan Finney. Do you, either of you guys run dogs? Short, German short-haired pointer. Oh, Scott, there you go. There you go. There you got another German shirt. There's, there's other kind of upland dogs? Yeah. I just thought it was the one. There's Britney's. There's Boykins. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a little furry ones, right? <laughs> so Alan Finney, well, well, you can go back and listen to the podcast, but Alan Finney runs short hairs, and he runs them out of a Jeep. He'll drive the road in the Jeep, and the dog will bark at him when there's a quell, and he'll get out of the car and <laughs> chase the quell down for him. I, I got a buddy that hunts Chucker on a quad with short hairs, and yeah. he just follows the dog well, and gets off. And you hunt Chucker works. the first time to hunt Chucker. You hunt it the second time for revenge. Revenge every time after. And you got to change the CO with an F. So, <laughs> uh, Mike Reese is on here. Mike Reese said uh, scaled quell and mountain quell have been released in the last few years, but not many. And then he said wild quell lifespan is about eighteen months, so they need to be hunted or they die anyway. So the, the problem with the mountain with, with that, the mountain quail is you don't agree with that. <laughs> no. Okay, go ahead. There, uh, <laughs> the problem with the mountain quail now is, from what I understand, all the translocated stock comes from California and China Lake military mm-hmm. installation and the problem is i guess the numbers are down so much that they can't do a lot of those translocation efforts anymore so Endow actually has this is kind of like a hidden you know kind of a well-kept secret i guess is they do like a biennial upland game release pro- program and they put out the plan in like a pdf form they've got like 30 40 pages of all the stuff that they want to do you know turkey augmentations uh turkey introductions uh new populations of mountain quail um, et cetera, and, you know, different ranges throughout the state. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, it's been so dry here that, uh, from what I understand, even on the, even in the best years, you know, like you said, the populations get hammered, um, for the first couple of years until they can get established and get wary. Um, so I, I think that a lot of those efforts have been kind of like tabled until the, we get more precipitation, uh, better circumstances for these programs. But, uh, yeah. Well, have any of you guys ever got a mountain quail? I heard it's like the, the it, like the holy grail of quails. It is. I mean, it, it depends on, like, for me it is, but other people is Merns, like, down, you know, near Patagonia and Arizona and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but... I think have you guys even tried to chase them? Nope. I haven't. They was on my, uh, a goal this year, but my dog is, she's only two, mm-hmm. and we were just, we were just working at home, just trying to get those basic things, like, reiterated over and over. I think quail are probably just, like, duck hunters, so, we're, or we're... You know, for us, a canvasback's not a big deal. We get a, there's there's tons of opportunity to hunt canvasback down here, but most of the United States are like, we want a canvasback, mm-hmm. and and so I think it's if it's around your area for us, we'd kill for for a wood duck, right? So yeah. the, the wood duck population in the state of Nevada is almost non-existent, especially in southern Nevada, mm-hmm. and so everybody else is like, oh, we hate wood ducks. You know, that's the only thing we can shoot back on. We hate <laughs> them, and we're like, dude, we'd kill for a wood duck, you know. But I, and I think that's the thing is it's the cool thing about hunting and you're, especially when you're hunting birds and stuff like that deer you get i mean there's some species of deer and you can go kind of around but they're pretty limited but different birds you have different subspecies of everything and you can go to a different region and even mm-hmm. even as a mountain quail it's not the same mountain quail as you're hunting over here it's going to be a different it's going to be a little bit different so i think that's a cool thing about, about that stuff is the there's just so much variety hunting birds no matter what bird you hunt well, we're we're blessed in nevada too how many how many species of quail do we have out here we have three we have gambles valley and mountain quail <clears throat> what are we missing merns and scaled i believe so so we have 
you know, almost Bob three White. of the... And Bob, yeah. And Bob White. Yeah. But you can shoot Bob White any 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 hatchery if you want. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll go get you a Bob White you want to shoot. They have them yeah. yeah. up in Idaho. I'll have Ron hold it for you. <laughs> I'll tie underneath the creosote before you walk out. That's how you shoot Bob White. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. Anyways... Um, no, we're blessed in Nevada. We have we have a big variety of ducks. I mean, how many different species did you shoot this season? Can you count? Like five, six. Yeah. Mine were like three, and we were brand new, and we had the world's shittiest decoys you've ever seen. And my husband. That's because they weren't coot decoys. <laughs> Dude, you got it. Set the coot decoys. That they'll uh, they'll make so the money right there. This this was the first year we tried. Um, hunting ducks and i mean we had a blast we had an absolute blast but we didn't get out as much we do have a he three-year-old new four-year-old so mm-hmm. he's uh he's easier to throw on my back and carry around and look for quail and chucker than it is to get him up in the dark we early in the morning super early and sit in a blind or yeah. sit in the marsh or did you hunt overton at all uh one day Actually, okay. yeah, I, oh. didn't, I didn't realize that you could go out there later because I can drop them off. Did you hunt Center Pond the one day? Towards like the which one did you end. hunt? What what number? I don't remember off the top of my head. Was it really deep? Did someone tell you it's really deep and not to go out there? No, we were able to wait oh. it. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we we met somebody out there. It was a man and a woman. It was their first time hunting hunting Overton WMA, and they're like, they picked the blind that's the deepest. It's like the deepest blind out there, and there's only one deep spot. It'll go up to what, like right here, Brian? Yeah, it'll go pretty well. Yeah, on, on us, it's some people going to go. I said, do you know where you're going? Do you have a dog? He's like, no, I don't have a dog. I was like, you might want to go trade your ticket in. Yeah, you might want to go get a that's, different blind. That is a rough blind. We won't. I mean, we, we it's a it's a short walk back to the car, man. But it is cold out here, and we won't hunt that blind just because it is so deep. But that's the thing is, Overton. The the cool thing about it is. You're not going to be usually you're not going to be as productive in the afternoon, depending on the year. This year, I think honestly, with the amount of hunters that you had in the morning, you probably were more productive if you went out late in the afternoon. But generally, what happens is you'll get those those early flights in the morning. Those ducks will work, and they'll work for an hour or two first thing in the morning, and then they're gone. And then they come in 15 minutes after shooting light and come back in and come back onto those ponds. So it's a tougher hunt in the afternoon, but it's certainly it's a doable hunt. I know guys that harvested a lot of birds in the afternoon this year. So, But back to the kids. The Overton's a Disneyland for hunting with kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have a nice blind. You have 4G internet down there on Verizon. You can set them in the blind, put a heater yeah. up, and cover them up, and they fall asleep, and then you can hunt. And it's yeah. like what you can't be really picky when you're hunting with kids. You know, And so like Overton's a great place to hunt with a kid and not be picky. Yeah. And then if it gets too bad, you go get them a Happy Meal and then come back to the blind. It's wonderful. And for most of the year, to be honest with you, for most of the duck hunting season, it's a pretty mild climate, right? So Ron and I were up in, in, you know, we were hunting Sunnyside, not (laughs) this year, but last year. And it was so cold that our boat wouldn't even turn over because everything was frozen. And you come down here and it's like 40. I need to strip a layer off. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) man, I'm roasting in here. And so... That is the nice part about it. And we do get a couple freeze days down there where, you know, you'll have them freeze over, but they last a day or two and then it's it's gone and that water's mm-hmm. back open again. So, you know, it is a, a fairly comfortable hunt and all but a couple of the blinds, there's, you know, benches that are comfortable and a kid can lay down and take a nap, you know, so that's nice. But do you know Josh Doyle? He just gave you a shout out. He said hi to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, who's he? Who's he to you guys? 
Actually, I work with Josh. We Josh and I and Matt actually hunted up at Overton this year. Oh, on, did on you? The last mm-hmm. week, and we did okay. It was my first blind sit ever. You know, like I, I, uh, I gone out just like jump shot ruddies mm-hmm. on the Colorado, which I will contend is a good eating duck. No, I want to argue with yeah, you. Yeah. I love okay. ruddies. Oh, yeah, great ruddies. I mean, <laughs> right. no, one, no one to contend with. You're awesome. Okay. As long as you don't say coot, we're good. Anytime we can be now. friends. <laughs> if you if you say coot, we got to hook you up with Rydell, and you guys can be yeah. friends. This is I like coots like Rydell. Yeah, I've got a couple of them Rydell's in my freezer, fine. and I don't know what I'm going to do with them still. You know, Dog training, they're like two years old. I know. <laughs> if you like liver, you know, there's always that. But anyway, he he took me up there uh, for my first like blind sit. Showed me the ropes. It's. Kind of nice to get a break from all that walking around, you know. Well, we did we did good. We had a pintail, mallard, nice pintail, green wings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it wasn't, and it's we were wearing t-shirts, you know. At, yeah. At, but when we walk back to the truck, yep. so it's it's a pretty user friendly. Even if you're like not kids, if you're an old fat guy, mm-hmm. it works too. That's the it, country it, club, it's, man. It's not it's not a long walk. It's not super yeah. cold. It's nice. It's nice yeah. hard gravel. Yeah. Not pushing it through bush. Yeah. No, it's a it's user friendly like. First time out to you go every year. No, that's, that's one the, of the that is the and it's nice and close. It's better than Sunnyside or Ruby Marsh or getting even further north. You know, so it's, <laughs> but that's those rough, are wild places. That's yeah, the tough true. part about mm-hmm. that that WMA too is it is so accessible mm-hmm. that it is also so overcrowded, mm-hmm. and you have people that don't hunt properly and so it affects everybody hunting i know somebody was okay, flying princess. a drone around <laughs> in the middle of an active hunt this year um and so those things all you know they all play a part in in part of it and that's why we i mean, will hunt we hunt still hunt overton because it's 10 minutes from mm-hmm. our house and so if it's we want an easy hunt mm-hmm. low stress to throw stuff on the truck and we're down there in 10 minutes or but we tend to travel just because you can kind of get away from the crowds you're going to walk in but the way we see it is Sometimes you got to put in the effort to to really get the reward out of it. And quail hunting is kind of the same way, right? So any kind of hunting. Brian's like a grumpy old man. No, I don't like Overton. There's too many people. Hey, you know get what? Off my lawn. You know what? It's funny because because <laughs> we had somebody a friend of ours that, that hunted, and we, we were first hunting Overton. And we're like, that's not that bad. Overton's kind of nice. And Overton's like, great. I'll never go to Overton again. <laughs> He's going to the whole thing, and now I'm like, you know, I'd rather not hunt Overton. And and it was funny because we were sitting out there last year, and we get into a blind and we've been hunting other places the whole season we get into a blind ducks start working and they make their first pass and we're like let, we'll let them work and let them come down to our decoys and then somebody starts shooting at i don't i don't know what they're shooting at their hunting partner or something i don't know because it <laughs> sure weren't able to hit a bird from that distance and then Ron and i both looked and we're like we forgot where we were hunting because <laughs> you, you have to Wait, take I that and the one day i was there there was like literally only one other group there we were like like just like like airplane high birds. You're like <laughs> one of my favorite memories. I'm sure I told on this show before is the ducks come off like the most northern part of the preserve, and they zigzagged the whole preserve. These geese did, and it was. Have you seen that Daffy Duck cartoon where all the hunters like jump out and shoot? It was like that. You could tell where those geese were because guns were going off. It- and like they didn't hit a single one. You could follow. It was beautiful. You could follow the geese. So much for money sure. to conservation, right there. Yeah, and that's we, we, the way we look at every round is is the money in the yeah. in the conservation pot. And it's yeah. funny because opening day, I actually hunted opening day at Overton, which I haven't done in a while, and and <laughs> I was like, I remembered why I don't hunt opening day because I have no problem. You want to shoot your so limited coots? Now. You want to shoot your limited coots? Shoot your limited coots. Wait till the good ducks ducks stop stop flying. And a coot doesn't move unless you shoot directly at it. Then, then it's like, hey, I need to go somewhere else. 
the coots at opening light were flying like ducks because they were getting shot at so much. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, really? And, and so it just makes it makes it a challenge. But, man, it is a comfortable hunt. You go in there, throw a heater in those blinds. You can yeah. go get McDonald's around 10. We, we so, actually had to, a McDonald's delivered to a blind one day. I was hunting with a buddy. And are you serious? He called his brother, and he's like, hey, can you bring us McDonald's? And he comes walking out of the blind with McDonald's. God so bless America. Let's talk about ethics and quail hunting. What are some of the no-nos to do? Like, what are some of the, like, the things that you don't like people doing when you're out hunting? Um, I think for me, the big one is I try to be mindful of if I, sometimes I chase cubbies, especially before I had a dog and I didn't always shoot them. Mm -hmm. So I think it's okay to go back and and chase that cubby again. But I really aim to shoot, if you have an idea of how big it is, like 10% of the birds, which I've seen very, very large cubbies, um, especially in good years with rain and chick survival and all of that um but if you are driving out to your spot and you're hunting the same covey half of the year you just shot out a covey like that that covey could be gone um and i think a lot of people they just like well i don't really want to drive around and find them i know where quail are so i'm just going to keep hunting the same little area um so i think diversify like find new spots go further um just just be mindful of they like 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 the guy earlier said um i'm not sure who it was well they're they're gonna die so we might as well hunt them anyway i i disagree with that to an extent like hunters if you're hunting them ethically we're not taking them off the landscape um but i think we need to keep them in healthy numbers especially with as much drought as we're facing i know before we started the chapter um every guzzler i came across i was checking it and I think it was in 2020 that fall some of those guzzlers were absolutely bone dry and those areas have not recovered like last this last season there's areas where i've seen birds for years i could not find these birds like i finally gave up i'm like there might be some out here but the cubbies that i've seen year after year in this exact spot they're gone so what about if you meet another hunter in the field what are some rules of the road on the on quail hunters? they won't stick around long if you start shooting at them no, <laughs> touching, touching, uh, I think other than opening day, I don't think I've ever seen another quail hunter in the field, to be quite honest. Like, there's enough space around town that that's not really an issue. And that was some of the opening day with duck hunting. I was like, I'm not, like, a crowd person. I'm used to, like, I feel safe, like, hunting with my three-year-old on my back because I'm not worried about getting shot at or... Because mm-hmm. I've never... I've literally... I think I've seen, like, one or two people, and usually it's driving, like, going from spot to spot. So it's, yeah. it's not a huge issue, but I would say if you see a truck, especially, like, if you're chucker hunting <coughs> in central and northern Nevada, it's a much bigger problem there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see a truck, find another spot. Don't crowd them. Like so it's like if you see a truck, don't get out and try to walk that same water hole. Same. Move on, go to the next one. There's only one or two cubbies there, so you're going to be trying to hunt the same cubby. And yeah, I think there's enough space in Nevada that you can drive half a mile. Or I would mile. imagine <laughs> quail work kind of the same way as ducks. If you get shot at enough in the same spot, you're going to move somewhere else. That's the problem we have with you know. You look at the WMAs like Overton and stuff like that. Overton's exceptionally bad with it because we have set blinds. And so what'll happen is beginning of the season, a bunch of new birds come in. They don't know where the blinds are. They get shot at for three or four days. Now they know where the blinds are and they land on the other side of the, out from the blind. And they the do coots. it every time because 
they get smart and they they know where it's not safe and so they're going to be where it's safe and so any animal that you put pressure on over and over again you're just educating them just like anything else and so if if ron and i were walking down the street and ron got shot after i quit laughing probably (laughs) then then i'd probably think about hey man i don't want to be here right and so and i know ron takes people out and gets them shot because he did it during dove season this year so um He, he's he, was a, he was a quail hunter too, so it's kind of neat. <laughs> but no, so full circle, right? <laughs> it's the same thing. Is is you feel that pressure, and you're going to get out of that dangerous situation. Animals are the same way; they don't survive. I if, went back the next day. I'm not a very smart dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody nobody claimed you were smart, Ron. <laughs> you were you were a croc, so we kind of already got that. Yeah, yeah, I choose comfort. Everybody gets shot at some point during dove season. That's just how it is. Is that what it is? Okay. And, and that's why I don't do dove opener. Tyler, did you have something to add about hunters and ethics and stuff of that nature? Well, on the, the yeah, I mean, obviously, give, you know, give people space. But And I know this sounds like a cliche, but just pick up your shit when you leave. Thank uh, you. Like there's, yeah. I mean, I like beer. I drink it every time I go hunting when I'm done. But I don't leave my cans in the dirt. Take them with you. Take your trash, pick up your shells, and I get it. You start running, you shoot something, you lose one or whatever. Mm-hmm. It happens. That's the way it is. But, you know, if you go shoot a whole box of clays and then you leave, they're biodegradable. I get it. But don't leave your shell holes with it. Don't leave your empty boxes. Don't leave your trash. And it seems like you can always tell where people have been hunting, not by the birds, but by the trash. I'm going to tell and a story. I know story. that's like a like cliche about just clean up, make it better than when you got there. But really do that. Can we talk about poop after this? Yeah, absolutely. We Ron loves to talk about poop. We can always talk about poop. So I like I, that is one of That's my interest meter just went. <laughs> that is one of my biggest pet peeves is trash. Like I am, like a trash fanatic. Like I hate it. I hate it so much. It like I'll go and I'll go yell at people because I know the ones who dropped it. And so last year at closer, okay, I'm, I'm hyped up about this. Anyways, last year at closer for ducks. <laughs> Take like, a blood pressure pill. I know. Relax. I you need some value. We've got a nurse in here. We'll be okay. <laughs> if I pass out, just leave me there. I'll wake up. It's a seekable episode. Oh, Anyways, no. We'll take pictures. and <laughs> Draw something on my face. Brian will draw Crocs. He's been practicing. So, anyways. So, last year after the close of duck season, I left Brian in the blind like I always do because I can't sit still for more than five seconds. And I go walking around and... <clears throat> these fellers were hunting a certain part of the pond, and they told me, they said, hey, listen, we, we broke through on this side over here. You ought to go check out what we did. And they have a reputation for being dumbasses. Anyways, and so I, I go, okay, well, I'll go over and look at it. I walk over there, and now this is, this is they've, they're the only ones that have hunted this. I walk in there, and there's trash everywhere, and I'm so pissed. And they only have goose decoys out. And here the geese come. After I find all their trash, and the geese were like over 10 high. And so I just let like eight rounds off at them. <laughs> I, you know, I can't blame you. I, I was so mad. I said, I'm, you I'm, know what? You don't get to shoot ducks if you don't pick up your trash. Uh, That's uh, how pissed I was. So I let eight rounds off at them, and they went the other way. And I didn't even have to go yell at them because I figured karma took care of it. And that's so, the, and that is the problem. We as, and I picked up all their trash too. As I picked hunters, up all their trash. especially you get into an area like Overton, that's you know got an overabundance. Mm-hmm. Of this hunters. was Key Pittman. So yeah, I, I know where this one was. Okay. But Ron and I, Ron and I actually hunted three days apart, two days apart because they're split days, right? So two days apart, maybe it was four days apart, but it wasn't very long. It wasn't even a week. When I hunted the blind, I picked up a backpack full of empty shells. Mm-hmm. Ron hunted it, not probably had a hunt in between. 
He picked up another backpack full of full shelves out of the same exact box. I don't even know what they were shooting. I had to go through a backpack of shelves. Well, you remember the story with Benny, and <laughs> you know the so the story we had to have one of the guys that runs Overton, and he was saying that these guys, man, and they they were killing it, man. They they were they were shooting it just nonstop, and so they come out and and they had like two birds or something like that, and he's like. Well, are you guys done? He's like, no, no, we, were, we ran out of shows. <laughs> and he's like, well, how how many how many shows did you have? He's like, how many shows? He's like, how many shows did you have? And they're like, a case. He goes, you mean a box? He goes, no, a case. <laughs> they went through a case of shells, two hundred fifty rounds, and got like two birds. You know, yeah. and it's just people don't care. Um, it's not their they they view it as not their land, but as as hunters and and conservationist it's all of our lands and we need to treat it as such if we don't treat it as such we're going to lose the rights to to have it and that's why ranchers and farmers don't want us to have access to their lands mm-hmm. right because people can't respect boundaries can't shut gates and and, and you sh- don't shut gates you shoot at cattle you do stupid stuff and then we lose the access to all those areas and it doesn't take a whole lot to, to lose it you know we have um anti-hunters breathing down our neck every time we go to a wildlife meeting there's there's anti-hunters in there and everything we do they try to use against us so it's it's up to us to make sure that they don't have any ammunition and so if you're the the hunter and and me personally i i like a beer too I mean, we have we have a beer sponsor on battleborn duckers for a reason but um thanks thanks battleborn beer you know you guys are awesome but shout out we uh i anybody that to me, that's going to hunt and drink beer at the same time or drink whiskey, I'm, I'm not hunting with you, right? We can drink beer and have whiskey after the fact. And see, I think that's part of the problem. So there's a culture that we drink beer and we don't care, and then we go out and shoot at stuff as we're drinking beer. And those, I think, are the hunters that are some of the biggest problems because those are the ones that aren't, that aren't, they don't care what they shoot at. They don't care if they leave a mess behind. So they're walking around and it's all about them. And so, you know, we don't get enough respect as it is. And then people make it a lot worse by doing things like that. So it's not that hard to pick up your trash. It's not. And like, I, like I love my WMAs and obviously you guys love habitat too. And you guys love nature and you guys love Nevada. And there's, there's tons of public land in Nevada and we all own that land because we're all part of the public. And, like, I don't go into your living room and throw my trash on your floor. Don't throw your trash on my floor that I'm working to pick up every single week. You know, like, we spend, like, we made $70,000 this year at the banquet. Um, Maybe. Nice. Close to. And we're going to spend that. We're going to spend that all on Nevada. We're going to spend that all on youth education. We're going to spend that all on Habitat. And we bust our bus. We don't get paid to be part of this NGO. And you guys don't get paid either. You know? And, like, I can make a lot more money doing my real estate. And just focusing on that. And I'm sure you guys make a lot more money selling Bitcoin or whatever you guys do. You know? <laughs> but that being said, like, we, we're doing this for free. Stop messing it up. Like, you're not even out helping. And you're leaving trash on the ground. And if I catch you, I'm going to be pissed. And we're going to have talks. And the other thing is they're not even contributing to Pittman-Robertson, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. All is, these non-hunters. So, yeah. so you guys, I mean, the non-hunters aren't. And the problem is the hunters, you know, it's a lot of the hunters that are the problem. The non-hunters aren't. Aren't most of the time aren't the problem. It's yeah, I don't know. Go to Lake yeah, yeah, buddy. Yeah, I disagree with you. I think non-hunters are a majority of the problems. But, I started as a backpacker, hiker, and it's the same problems with everything. It's let's just, talk about poop then. 
Let's talk about poop, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone, like, why has your dog not rolled around in shit that someone left there with their toilet paper decorated hanging on the bush? Like, why can't you just dig a little hole with a rock and poop in the hole and cover it? I don't exactly. understand. Everywhere I go, there's poop everywhere. Like, hanging yeah. off bushes. I can't. Yeah. It makes me, I, I see enough poop at work. I don't need to. There's guys <laughs> pooping. <laughs> I see enough poop on the boulevard, so. Yeah. Hey. Like, I don't. It's not that hard to dig a hole. You're right. And uh, I mean, your coffee hits, the ducks are coming in, you yeah. want to pop a school, but like, you could have a plan ahead of time. Is this like, a good time for me to introduce the poop wand, Brian? No, you don't want to hear about it? You have issues, dude. Okay. That's all I have to okay. say. Your wife's a butt with a stick. <laughs> no, when you're, out, when you're out backpacking and you can't, get the, you can't get the distance, you just wrap that baby wipe around the stick and you can, it makes, whatever, laugh at me now. Next time you're out backpacking, you'll be like, oh, he was right. Can't get the distance? Like when you're trying to get back there and get everything clean. He's got like T-Rex arms, maybe. <laughs> no? Okay, He's maybe got... I... You know what I'm talking what? about, Tyler. See, see. <laughs> I can, I've never used a stick. Right? <laughs> now, I have used socks before when I ran out of You know, that's like a... That, that has happened, but I've never used a stick. That's... Yeah, baby wipe. And in get, in man, the toolbox, though, just in case. Put it in the toolbox. It, I, I went hunting for like two weeks straight, and like every day around noon, it hit. Just <laughs> for two days straight in the middle of nowhere. I just started getting creative. So, you know, anyways, it's, it's funny. I was watching a thing the other day. Poop with, wand. I'm gonna. It was. I was looking at this thing. Shirt. It was, uh, <laughs> it's called the the SHTF, you know, website, and it's for preppers and all this other stuff. So it's like you can make your own toilet paper. I'm like, now, now you got me intrigued. I, I, I got to see what this is about. So the guy like takes rocks and twigs and some baby oil and shove it. And it's like full leaves. And he's like, the thing's like a quarter inch thick. And he goes, and you just put it on a roll. And I'm like, it's a quarter inch thick. I'm like, you're going to need stitches after you use that crap. See, there's like, there's like Daniel Boone making his own gunpowder. And then there's whatever the hell that is, like way up here. You know, you know that's some guy that eats kale. But, so. And, you know, and that's and the crocs. What? And where's Crocs? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, you're jumping on the Croc team, huh? See, there you go. See, I had you're either a... for them or against them. You've never, you've never had to like get onto your waders and you put your Crocs on before you leave your house and yes. then you can slip right into your waders? Crocs yeah. are superior. No, I, I <laughs> take guys duck hunting that have waders and I just don't. I, 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 I were... <laughs> ask, ask, ask Josh. He doesn't tell yeah. you. He doesn't say decoys. I, no, I have waders. I wear boots like a real man. <laughs> yeah, I, I shoot upland birds and... Sorry. Some of the places you go with us, you have to have waiters to get into. Yeah, yeah. Um, quite a bit of places. I mean, most of the time. Sometimes we're standing in knee-deep water the whole hunt. And Ron's pretty nice, so he'll bring new guys out hunting, and he's like, oh, I got waiters for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that there's a solid seam on, on the waiters. They're like, my feet are wet. And I'm like, well, we're not going home. Call your mom. A long way to Ely. <laughs> yeah, I'll drop you off at the bus. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, you guys got something good coming up here, right? Make some money for you guys. What are you doing? Uh, we have a clay shoot coming up April 30th at Pro Gun Club, Boulder City. Um, it should be a rockin' time. <laughs> Is it trap skeet or sporting clay? Sporting clay. Sporting clay. Sporting clay course. Um, we are raffling a Franke Affinity 3, 20 Ooh. gauge, semi auto. Um, at the end of it, we're going to be raffling some probably 12 gauge ammo. Uh, we have some Ravencrest tactical knives. We're sponsored by Two Bitch Bourbon, and I believe they will. We also have 
most likely some Howlerhead, um, like banana whiskey. There will be either raffling bottles or giving away free samples after shoot, obviously. Hornady donated a sweet pistol safe, like a sweet electric, uh, electronic pistol safe that nice. we're raffling off. I throw that out there, Brian. There, there's the details. I you guys will... can find them on Facebook at Southern Nevada Quell Unlimited, I think. Quell Forever. Forever. I will tell you that, man... I, I like my my bourbons and my whiskeys and and two bitch. I mean it's a, it's a really good it's a really good whiskey and you know that guy he he does it right. So he he sponsors a lot of the stuff with mm-hmm. Las Vegas Woods and Waters. He sponsors when he he always gives us a swag and gift baskets and stuff like that. And, and they're a Nevada company. They're a Nevada company, Eureka Nevada. Mm-hmm. So they sponsor the. Uh, I think it's Gold Days or something like that up in up in Eureka, and they do mining games up there. And they're they're the the title sponsor of that event so you know it's a nevada company that supports nevada organizations and so for me they give away to every single ngo in this whole southern nevada i, I, I mean would, like they like it's not just quell limited it's win it's bighorn fraternity like they're awesome mm-hmm. there's yeah. a, there's very few that them and for us new frontier armory i mean you'll see them at just oh, about yeah. every banquet you go to because they do give back to their communities and so sportsmen we need to give back to those we have i will tell you we have a sports company that is a large chain that has now refused to support anybody in the valley and so as sportsmen we also owe it to ourselves to not support those companies that aren't going to support us um so don't burn that bridge quite yet i'm still working on that notice i didn't say a name (laughs) i didn't say a name but i think some of the people know who it is don't light that on fire yet brian but i think it's important for us to to vote with our dollars when we go into these places and tell them hey we appreciate you doing that so if you've got a company, you know, you've got a Hornaday or somebody like that, that that's giving back to you. If you go back to them and say, Hey, yeah, thanks for supporting us. Here's my money. And then they're more apt to support the cause again. And we're pretty lucky with, uh, with win. Lots of good ones. You yeah. Know? With win, we've got, um, some really good solid sponsors that come to us year after year and, and say, Hey, we want to help. And vortex. You guys have vortex too, huh? Vortex. They give to every NGO mm-hmm. too. And ProGun, actually, ProGun donated a membership, so we'll be raffling off a membership. That's uh, awesome. So, Onyx sponsored oh. us too. They gave away a couple yeah. memberships. Yeah, Onyx. We, is the we best. didn't get yeah. Onyx this year because we didn't ask. I them. didn't ask. They always give it to us. Yeah. Ask. So, you guys got it's a 50 clay shoot, right? Yeah. Um, they get their own golf cart. It's, it's all inclusive. It's 50 clays, ammo's included. Whoa. Golf cart. Um, there's be a little light breakfast that's going to be there. A raffle ticket for the club membership will be included with the, with the price. Um, Individuals are 150, and teams of two are 275. Correct. Correct. Yeah, to just show up and don't shoot anything. Well, keep I mean, your like ammo. if the ammo's yeah, they have the ammo's your, included, yeah. just keep your the ammo, ammo and then just on. sell it Click in a month. Yeah. It keeps on clicking. I don't know what's happening. And they also are including the shotgun rental. So if you have yeah. a friend that doesn't have a shotgun, I mean, or if you want to try one out. <laughs> What wife. do they have all sorts out there mm-hmm. on shotguns? So you, if you want to go this field, try a new shotgun out, see how it feels. Mm-hmm. What if they a, got retays? No, I'm sure they don't have retays. Retays are tough to come by in this this part of the woods. So, but no, I think that is, that's a that's a good time. It's always a good time to go out and. What and day shoot is that? April plays. 30th. It's a Saturday, Saturday morning. It's yeah. going to be uh, it's twelve stations, four rounds at eleven of them, and then six rounds at one of the stations. So. Uh, we're doing a top shooter, first, second, third place teams. Um, so, and, and the, the club's been great for support. The, uh, oh, don- yeah. the donors have been great. So, uh, food truck will be out there after. Um, what? Who's so. the food truck? Lauren. 
People like us need to know, Tyler. Yeah, fat kids got to know what they're yeah, going to eat. Come on, so. man. <laughs> fat kid brings his own food, so like I'll be interesting case. Well, we bring we bring plenty of snacks, but you got to supplement the snacks. I, I don't let people go hungry, okay? I will come back to the name of that. I've been up since 5.30 in the morning. I've done a lot of the planning and reaching out for this, and it's overwhelming to mm-hmm. plan. This is our first event, um, and I would be lying if I said I wasn't overwhelmed. So you guys are inspiring with what you've done. I'll tell you what. It gets easier. Yeah, it so, does. So you build relationships. As Just like as hunters, we, we go out in the field and we meet certain people and and Ron and I have been really fortunate with having the podcast. So we've been able to build a lot more relationships with people just in general. But we've built a lot of relationships with our sponsors over time. And so we go back to them the next year and say, hey, we want to help with this. But part of that is putting on an event to where everybody wants to come back, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, if you and do that. And making money on top of that. And, and making money is a big part of it because that's what we're there for. Um, <clears> but it really is if you have people wanting to come back to your event your sponsors want to come back to your event because people are excited to be there mm-hmm. and so they want to be a part of that so you've got a lot of companies that they're you know it's great that we got people helping you guys out and that they're they're willing to to spend their their time and their money cuz they're businesses and those businesses are there to make a profit and so they're taking that profit and digging into that to help our cause on the mm-hmm. conservation side. So it's great. And you guys are doing a great job and a great thing by, by getting people out there. And hopefully people don't just come out to shoot. Hopefully you bring people in and they go out to shoot and then they come back and become contributors and, and help you out with projects and stuff like that. Because as much as we love to make the money so we can do the projects... All the money in the world doesn't do you any good if there's three people doing the projects. And so you can only do so many projects with, with a limited amount of people. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's important that not only we come out to support these organizations with our wallets, but we also come out and support them in person. And, you know, Ron and I talk about all the time with Wynn. We don't necessarily need you to come in and do the physical labor all the time. We need people to take pictures. We need people to document stuff. We need people to do paperwork, mm-hmm. or we tend yeah, to just do, sharing a post. You yeah, know? we do a lunch with our projects. We'll make sandwiches or something like that. I mean, having getting that stuff ready for everybody when they're out when they come back in. So, those are things that we need. We have a social media guy that that's pretty much what he does for us. Most Joseph of the time. Terry, you're the man. Yeah, he he's and he's done a ton. So he that's one of his ways of contributing. Now he comes and does projects with us. But we need all of those skills, and if somebody doesn't bring us those skills, then we still need to do it. We're going to have to pay to do it. And that every dollar that we spend into paying somebody to do something that we could get a volunteer to do is a dollar that we can't put back into the conservation. We've got a uh, we've got John Scallon on here, man. Talk oh. about someone that shows up, even though. <clears throat> Corn he, cob, not, John, really? Corn cob? I don't know what that means. That, he he's wipes his butt cob. with the corn cob. Oh, yeah. corn cob. So, <laughs> put, put the corn cob on a stick and that's you can call it. That's what I'm talking about, John. See, that's what I mean, John, get around. But John <laughs> has been doing conservation for years and years and years and years and years. And he can't, he can't shovel as fast as the next day, but he's still showing up to these things. you know. And he doesn't have to shovel because the young guys are there. But just to have that experience there to be like, hey, maybe you try to do this or maybe you try to do that. Or he just sits there and harasses you the whole time. That is fine. But just showing up to these projects is a huge thing. I mean, I think it's more important than money. Like, there's, there's, they're showing up and giving your time. The next thing is if you have the talent. You know, you don't have to show up if you're smart enough to get me discounted prices on materials. And the last thing is the money. Because money, money fixes everything. And money can fix these two. But these two things are very expensive. The time and the talent. So, yeah. And you guys putting your time and talent, starting a new group, you know, hats off. Anything we guys we could do for you guys, you just let us know because 
I mean, in this valley, who do we have as NGOs, Bray? We have Bighorn Fraternity. We have Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Mm-hmm. We have Trout, Deer. The Trout Club. The Trout Club. Does TU do a lot of stuff around here? Who? Trout Unlimited. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, not that we really see. Like, um, what are you going to go do? Like, fix the park benches at sunset? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, you've got... Um, go feed the striper at Lake Mead? Yeah. I don't know. And you've got, you've got groups, even smaller groups, that do do some stuff you've got the wiggler army guys that we got ducks unlimited do cleanups at the lake you got ducks unlimited woods and waters but see the but you can is, count them on two hands is my point mm-hmm. my point is you can count them on two hands and in those groups on those two hands there's a core group of about four or five people doing most of it now winds got really lucky we have about 10 of, as a core now we've had to work really hard doing that so if you guys are interested in quell if you're interested in win if you're interested in a bighorn fraternity join one of them mm-hmm. and start doing stuff because you guys like you said that run this event like if you had one other set of hands it'd be real easy right but it's yeah. exhausting it's not it's it's tough to do it all by yourself and and so you've got guys that, that do a lot and so the cool thing about having some of the different clubs is you know it's great because we all kind of specialize in something a little bit different right so one of the things that Wynn had was Wynn did a lot of the big game drinkers. You know, mm-hmm. Desert Bighorn mm-hmm. Fraternity mm-hmm. does does the the Bighorn stuff, and then we did the big game stuff and some small game stuff. And we really have kind of evolved. Ron and I, our passion is is duck hunting, obviously. So um, we're in Wynn, and and we're doing a lot of the projects, and it's under us. Ron and I are actually coming up with a lot of the ideas. So we've done a lot more duck projects than we hadn't had historically. But man, Jason Mace is, you know, it's him and his wife most of the time doing most of the work for those guys. And so you got two guys Ducks Unlimited. trying to do all of that stuff. And, and But we can, as clubs, we can all kind of come together. And so I may not have a project going on this month, but maybe Desert Bighorn has a project going on. Or maybe you guys at Quail Forever have a project going on. So we we really need to collaborate as as groups and take those resources, and then it takes two people and turns them into ten people really fast. Mm-hmm. And we all have the same passions. We may not all have the same specialties, but those specialties help each other out a lot. And so I know some clubs are flush with cash, some clubs have no cash, and so it's as simple as like when we got a, we got a phone call to help a help a project out, and it was. You know, just they needed some funding to do a certain thing, and they lost their normal source, and so they call us up, hey, can you help us? And so they have a resource to go to, and so we can all do that together, and then we all get benefit from it. Mm -hmm. A a duck is, if I've got a water hole, and it's of any size, I mean, you can have, we've seen ducks, what, the other day we saw a duck on a 10-foot hole. Oh, up by Caliani, a little creek. And so these projects aren't necessarily specific to a quail project because if there's water there a, a duck will find it and it'll be in it so these habitats are, are all kind of benefiting everybody and so we need to as, as ngos need to get together and a help with projects but b we we have to stand up as ngos and put our name into the fight so when things start coming down that's going to affect one of us we all need to be in the ring screaming as loud as we can <laughs> Because we have the power if we actually stand up and mm-hmm. use it. Yeah, yeah, a little squeaky wheels. What else do you guys got going on? Are you, you told me you're going to do some quell counts coming up here. And- yeah, so we, uh, we're we working with Endow. They've got um, a dozen to 15 uh, different springs that they want to do uh, presence or absence uh, surveys on. So basically, uh, Utah Chakra Foundation came up with this awesome uh, survey protocol um, that we've kind of co-opted. Um, 
and I think we'll probably follow that methodology, which has proven to be very successful. What does that methodology explain? Uh, basically, it just goes into uh, time of year to put trail cams out, the distance from uh-huh. the from the uh, guzzler, uh, you know, the angle, uh, uh, survey times, and then how to analyze and and quantify the the data that you pull off of those trail cams. Oh, very cool. So they only need to be out for like a couple weeks in order to you know to get the data that you need. Um, so we're hoping to translate that to mountain quail. Um, up in Esmeralda County, mm-hmm. and there might be some variances with like you know uh, time of the year that you'd want to set them out, but generally in the in the springtime. Um, so we are trying to find somebody to sponsor us for trail cams. Hint, hint, and uh, <laughs> so we can go get those out and get some data for this year, which would be great. Um, we'll probably do some uh, dusky grouse surveys. There's actually supposed to be a small population of uh, blue grouse. I think either duskies or sooties up in the spring mountains um so i've never seen one up there but they apparently exist where's the spring mountains near this is charleston okay yeah now so right outside of uh right outside of the city and you know if gas prices continue to be the way that they are now right outside of the city is where i would like to do a lot of projects you know um so we'll probably just go out and do uh some listening stations um and and survey for those uh blue grouse up there and if we can find something that would be fantastic um because i sure would love one day a huntable population of grouse right down the road you know for most of us so your data collection is going to be mainly through trail cams then yeah for, okay because i know they do a lot of different methodologies where it's like with binos or with mm-hmm. trail cams or things of that yeah. nature it's not so much suited for the grouse um the trail cams are but um those are more like listening for the drumming mm-hmm. you know and but uh, in terms of the quail and chucker yeah you can certainly do trail we're cams. hoping because they they do um surveys in northern nevada for chucker but they don't do any quail or trucker counts in southern nevada like it's none whatsoever stepchild yeah so well, everything within now southern <laughs> but go ahead, finish. so we can't we can't prove how bad things are are down here because there's no there's no data from before there's there's no data now so i mean we're small and it might not be a ton of data but it might be enough to get people to start caring it's more than more. we have yeah it's more than we have so, so if you're listening to this and anybody has extra trail cams laying around Pass them on on. Those Arizona guys don't need them anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, just, well, Utah, too, right? Just wait, because Nevada's, Nevada's running that way pretty quick. And, you know, it's pretty sad because they're a very useful tool outside of, of big game hunting yes. and setting them on a water hole, right? We're talking. It's all was, fair chase, though. I was talking the other day. Yeah, but it's not necessarily <clears throat> fair chase, because I was talking the other day. If you had, I was actually talking to Rob up at Peranigate. If you were a trapper. Right, and we have a ninety-seven, a ninety-six hour trap law in the state of Nevada for most of it, except for around Clark County, and and around Reno, I think, is a twenty-four hour trap set. But if you were a trapper and you had a live feed game cam that you could set up on on your traps, right, and you could got notification when there was action in those traps, you would know right then and there that you had an animal in that trap, and then you could go dispatch that animal. It's the most humane way you're going to do it, right? Now, if you wait 96 hours, you know, it kind of it's you're leaving that in there for 96 hours. There's a good, ch- there's a chance that you're going to leave that in there the whole 96 hours. If you, if you get it one, you walk out and you get an animal, right? And so there's some good uses for them. There's good uses. The problem is NGOs are gonna gonna have to foot the eat eat a lot of that too because if it's illegal for everybody else, we're everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so now I can't do trail camp surveys. I can't do any of that stuff because we've lost the opportunity. It's already tough enough because they've they've given us a window that we're not allowed to set trail cams, which are 
a lot of the windows that would be beneficial to us to mm-hmm. set trail cams. Have That's you, why have when they reached out to them and saying like we're doing it as like a research because I I feel like <laughs> you if, if you have tags like if they can give you like if we can work with them to get some kind of like special tag that we're doing. They don't it for, have a protocol for it yet, and we yeah. could do it, but the, the, again that goes along with the NGOs have to work together. We have to go in with, with a plan, and we have to say, hey, this is what we want to do. Here's the system we came up with. And then it, they would have to be regulated, right? Because what's to say, Ron, you know, knowing how Ron mm-hmm. is. I started a he's nonprofit. Like, he's like, no, I, I'm, I'm in win, and it's I'm a win tag. I'm looking for special caterpillars. Yep, yep, yep. They're the big game guzzlers. And, and I'm like, Ron, where'd all our cameras go? And he's like, oh, yeah, I put them out. On, I put about all in Area 11. Don't you have a tag in Area 11? I do. <laughs> that is weird, isn't it? And, <laughs> and so there's some... There's tons of ducks out here. <laughs> there's a lot, a lot that goes into it. And so I think what happens a lot of times is we don't show up. So they make decisions that aren't the best for us. And we have to live with it. And until we show up, nothing changes. <clears throat> And so Ron and I have It's been, easier to fix it before it happens than fix it after it happens. Ron so that's why you show up to these cab meetings and change it. We've mm-hmm. been very active about making sure that things don't change in the wrong direction where we can. Um, I, we, and it's kind of nice because I would tell you, Rob and I, Ron and I started going to the cabs. And the first one we went to, there were like six or seven anti-hunters in the room. And they were the most vocal voice. I think mm-hmm. it was Ron and I that were hunters and sportsmen in the room besides the board. And then I just went to the last Clark County cab, and there was one anti in the room, and it was only because his wife was on the board, <laughs> and there were like 10 sportsmen in the room. So that sportsman voice became the predominant voice. And so they, they're not showing up in the numbers they were when they have opposition because they're not afraid to speak up when nobody, nobody can prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. But as soon as somebody shows up to prove them wrong, they keep their mouth shut and go away. Well, do you guys got anything else you need to pitch before we wrap it up? Anything else you want to say? I know, how many members do you have right now? Like, We've got over 100 QF members in our like kind of southern region. Most of them are in Vegas, but we've got a couple, um, I want to say Ely, Caliente, a uh, couple in Beatty, Tonopah, all around there. So, Okay, so if you guys want to show up and support them. Do you guys do regular yeah. meetings? We've been talking about doing like a semi-regular pint night. Um, we had our first one over Christmas time, and it was super successful. Work? We raffled off a case of Boss Shot Shells. So they've, they've also been very good to us, um, very, very nice. supportive of what we're doing. And so we'd like to set some more regular stuff up, especially because nobody's doing anything this time of year anyway, right? Yeah. I think um, after this clay shoot, we're planning on having kind of like a rally-type pint night dinner um, pre-season like late august um sometime in september we don't have a date set yet but if you join our mailing list or our instagram all of that will be um, facebook or facebook we we, yeah we'll obviously advertise it through all there um the one thing i would like to say is we had two very generous donors from the um women's upland community um and they paid for two teams um for our shoot but they specifically designated them for a mother-daughter spot or female youth which um up to like 18 years old so i have four free spots ladies um if there's any guys that has a you know run rumors crocs he qualifies (laughs) just saying oh we can keep up that yeah so we're okay um 
So you have two spots, a mother, daughters, and a female team, correct? Yeah, I can do four female. It's kind of, we can mix and match on what, what we get. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to have just some normal, general, at least one youth team as well. I just haven't had as many donors with that. I've built up um, some friendships online through Instagram and the female community, so that was like an immediate sponsorship. Okay. Which I think is really cool that they don't even live here in our own community, and they're supporting our community, but I'm yeah. having a heck of a time. So if anyone is interested in sponsoring, Sponsoring just a general youth. Um, I'm sure I can get some some boys out there too. Okay, well you hear that? If anybody has a mom daughter team or two girls, let's let's get them out there. There's free spots, and it's going to be a heck of an event. Mm-hmm. And then you go this in the morning, and you go to the woods and water banquet in the evening. It'll be a party all day long. Sign you know? up uh, for your wife. I need some good role models for these girls too. Yeah, because to be out there in a field of men. For me, I'm used to it, but. Let's see some more ladies out there. I think that'd be awesome. Well, that's our—that's the future. If you look at the way the hunting trends are going, mm-hmm. so the female hunters are, are one of the fastest growing groups, and so we just we need to support that and get the young young females hunting, and don't wait till they're they get, go off and their boyfriend or their husband decide, hey, I'm going to take you hunting, and you're gonna you're gonna figure it out, and then they find out they love it, and they've missed all the opportunities that a lot of the young men get. Yeah. <laughs> That's my little girl. I mean, she's my biggest hunter out of the whole family. Dude, your little girl. She walked Whoever around the whole marries, wind banquet with a whole, like, she had, like, a little skinny knife on her side throughout the whole night. Whoever that girl marries, I feel sorry for her, because she's more man than they were going to be. So. That's true. Well, get out and support them, and girls, let's, let's show up and show men how to do it, I guess. Well, I... To be honest, women are better at running these clubs anyway. They're better shooters most yeah, of the time. Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. Our club only runs because of her, so. You're right. Like, you shoot, everything, so. That's 100%. why we're across, so we don't got any women. So. <laughs> so, that's, we, he's our woman by proxy. He's, uh, what's her name? He's, he's, he's going to swim for Penn State next year, but. Uh, <laughs> man, I, I don't, I got too much drag with all this stuff. So. Anyways, well, thank you so much for coming, guys. How do we Thanks get, how, how do they get a hold of you besides Facebook and, and Instagram? So, uh, yeah, Facebook, uh, is, Southern Vatican Quail Forever, and then Instagram is the same. Um, you can reach out to me. I'm the Brown Sound on Instagram. I won't get into that. Or you can email me. Um, <laughs> my email is uh, mshaneb at protonmail.com. And then, so if you have anything going on, projects, you know, potential projects, please shoot them over to any of us. And uh, we would like to help make your hunting experience and your habitat better in your neck of the woods. I, my, my contact and Lauren's contact are also on our flyer. Okay. At the bottom. Awesome. So I thought you were going to say brown yeah. trout for a second. I was like, <laughs> we're going back there already. <laughs> hey, and if they come out to projects with you, you'll point them in the right direction to how to get on quail, right? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. They know exactly. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We tell them exactly absolutely. where all the ducks are. No, I'm. I'm not lying. <laughs> if you come out to my projects, I'll tell you where to go hunt. If you message me on facebook i'm gonna lie to you we've had a lot like we've had people join and they, they just want to be pointed in the right direction and i have no problem like but they, especially in this drought and everything it's hard to be like hey i'm gonna drop you some pins like i worked hard like no one ever gave me a spot we scoured maps and did yeah. our own work so my honey hole hard. was dry this year so <laughs> yeah. we'll point it we'll point we don't we won't give people the x so we 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 don't give people the X. Ron does it every once in a while with some of his people that he knows, but we will point them in a general direction. Absolutely. But I will tell you, when you join these clubs and you start doing projects, there's friendships that are formed that you wouldn't have otherwise. 
and it affords you the opportunity to go on hunts to where you're standing on the X, right? Yeah. So that's the that's the way it works. You're hanging out with endow biologists, if anybody knows. Right. Yeah, and that's the other thing is, yeah, you do get the contacts, and so you can call an endow biologist and say, hey, I was going to go up here. What's the bird count look like? You know, and they, if you know them, they're going to be pretty honest with you. But if if you're just calling from from the street and saying, hey, Russ, where, where are the deer at today? They're not going to tell you anything. And you learn, you know, like what they eat, what kind of cover they like and prefer, you know, how close to the water they hang. So you learn not only like where other people have found them, but you know how to find them for yourself in a given area. Because, you know, like uh, Desert Tortoise Range, for example, you, probably 90% of the tortoise are in 10% of all of the habitat, you know. So if you know what you're looking for, not that this is relevant to hunting in mm-hmm. any way, but, you know, if you know what you're looking for, you can really, or chucker, you know, like what they eat, you can really nail down good places that can improve your odds of getting into birds later on down the road. And if I meet you in person, I can I can tell if, if you're a toilet paper hanger or not. <laughs> if you wipe your butt with a stick. It's a little harder to feel that out. I've had several people go online and say, hey, I want to get new into hunting what should i do where should i start and my new response is join a nonprofit group yeah that's what it is here's a list of them pick one if you want to get into hunting join one of these that's well, where you start and a little pro tip so if you join a nonprofit group i'll teach you poop wand he'll <laughs> <laughs> give you his scepter <laughs> but no if you if you join my play, play tutorials if you jo- join these groups they're building water projects and guess what animals need to survive the water and so if you're going out hunting animals you kind of know where the water is you kind of have a little bit of an advantage to some of the other people so it's just it's it's about that but that's not why we do it the reason we do it is to help the habitat and help the animals grow so well i think we're about to wrap it up yeah, man, you've talked plenty long. Yeah, I know. I have to talk because otherwise you sound like Joe Biden. Yeah. I play I like lollipops and hair smells. <laughs> and they play with the legs on my hair. And You better wrap it up, man. Absolutely. So, you know, get out and see, and go join these guys at their, nice, at their shoot on April 30th, like 730 in the morning. Be out at Pro Gun Club in Boulder City. Um Call them if you Do got it. some female shooters that, that need a home, especially female youth. Get the female <laughs> youth out there and give them an opportunity to hunt. As we always say, if you're going to go out this weekend, make sure you take somebody with you. If you're going to take somebody with you, make sure you try to teach them something. And if you can't take somebody or teach somebody, make sure you hunt hard.